Well, we knew it wasn't a question of if, but how much. And today, the Bank of Canada did indeed increase uh, interest rates, but not as much as some experts thought they would. The, it had been anticipated at 75 basis points, so 0.75%. Instead, the bank came in at 05 So uh, it still boosts the cost of borrowing for the sixth consecutive time this year. Don't forget back at the beginning of the year, interest rates were at 0.25%. Now they're at 3.75%, the highest in 14 years, and it's expected they'll continue to grow. In their latest monetary policy report, the central bank noted that although inflation has eased in recent months, we know the price of food continues to go up. The price of services is still rising. So Bank of Canada Governor Tiff Macklem says it is getting closer to the end of its rate tightening cycle, but the bank isn't there yet. We are mindful that adjusting to higher interest rates is difficult for many Canadians. And many households have significant debt loads and higher interest rates will add to their burden. We don't want this transition to be more difficult than it has to be. But we remain focused on our mandate. There are no easy outs to restoring price stability. We need the economy to slow to rebalance demand and supply and relieve price pressures. So Tiff Macklem says he knows it's hurting most of us because the cost of borrowing is up. The cost of everything else is still up, but they're sticking to their guns. They think these rate hikes will eventually tame inflation and that will be good for all of us in the long run, which means there's probably another one coming. Uh, experts now predicting 0.25% in December. They're also forecasting a 50% chance of a recession in this country next year, which is also something we've been talking about a lot. So what to make of the bank statements today? Are there more interest rate hikes to come? Probably. And how is this all playing out politically in Ottawa as Canadians are forced to cut back on spending with rising costs? Joining me with more on that and what's going on at the, at the Emergencies Act inquiry, because he's watching that closely too, is John Iveson. He's an Ottawa-based political columnist for the National Post. John, welcome back. Thank you. Hi, Ben. So uh, interest rate hike today, not quite what we expected, maybe a little bit lower, uh, 0.5 instead of 0.75, but still... Uh, the Bank of Canada seems to be seems to be walking a line here, and I, and I, you get the sense that people are getting angrier and angrier about the pace of these rate hikes. Right. I mean, I think it wasn't as as uh, draconian as it might have been, and presumably the bank is worried about pushing the economy into recession. But at the same time, it, there's no signs that uh, that it's done yet, and you know I think that's kind of what you want from your your central bank to be focused on inflation and to squeeze out this sort of, uh, you know, the perception of what the value of money is going to be tomorrow. Uh, you don't want it to be 8%, you want it to be 2 to 4%. So, so that's, you know, I think it's tough medicine, but the, the, the evidence from the past is that it has worked before. How is it playing out politically? Because I noticed the Conservatives, of course, have been leading off question period now, it feels like for months, <laughs> well, it's weeks really, just on inflation. Well, I think it really will come down to whether the bank is successful in what it's trying to do. You know, I don't think the Liberals are keen to have an, uh, an election anytime soon. It looks like the NDP will, will keep propping them up into, right through 2023. And if inflation is down in the, in the target uh, band, you know, 2 to 3% by the start of 2024, then maybe some of this noise goes away. I mean, obviously, interest rates are high. That's hitting a lot of people. But I do think the government feels if people are working, so if the employment rate uh, or the unemployment rate doesn't rise, then while there's anger 
people can handle it. I think when uh, recessions become really difficult for governments is when the unemployment rate rises. And then obviously the cost of living is, is high and people don't have the income. I think as long as people are working, the government feels that they can weather this storm and get through to a point where there is more price stability. And, you know, you, you might then see interest rates come back down again. Is there any sense here that the NDP are pushing back on anything uh, here? Because uh, Christopher Freeland, of course, came out last week and said that every, any new program will have to be costed, right? They're watching their pennies. Right. Uh, that can't make their, their partners too happy. No. So, I mean, at the weekend, Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leader, was asked whether uh, uh, the commissioner, Rouleau, on the emergency inquiry or the emergencies act inquiry, if he came down hard on the government, would that be enough to spark an election? And I think given the fact that Singh backed the government's decision in the first place to invoke the act, uh, he was pretty clear that that would would not be a, a sort of casus belli for an election. However, if the government stopped spending money on his pet causes, I think that that would be something that uh, would potentially result in the NDP withdrawing its support. Mostly, of course, the, the Dental Act. So if, if um, we, we've already seen the government say that it's going to cover the under 12s uh, dental costs within uh, certain income barriers or bar- barriers. But I think if the next stage didn't come forward, then the NDP might start getting a bit antsy. The bottom line, of course, though, is that the NDP doesn't have the money for an election and its support is not particularly buoyant right now. So there's, it doesn't really have a good reason to push for an election. On the conservative side, they put a lot of their eggs into this inflation basket. It seems to be uh, Pierre Polyev's rallying cry, at least early in his leadership. Uh, do they run the risk at all of, of, of falling short if, in fact, as you said earlier, the Bank of Canada is successful between now and election of sort of taming this a bit and, and this becomes something that we see in the rearview mirror? Well, I don't suspect that the, you know, the, the cost of living is going to fall in relative terms over the next year and a half. I mean, it's it's... It's a problem that will that may ease in time, uh, but I don't think it's going to be completely in the rearview mirror, even if it's well into 2024 before we go to an election. And at the moment, it seems to be working. I mean, Poiliev is not, uh, he's getting a lot of upside for, for his attacks on the, on the carbon tax and on the various other cost of living rises that uh, the government is either responsible for or is being blamed for. And so I think, you know, they're right to keep hammering on these on these pocketbook issues. Um, you know, I guess if if it does turn out to be in the rearview mirror, he will pivot to something else. But but I suspect that it's a, a profitable scene for them to keep mining. Yeah, they appear to have been pretty disciplined so far, which has been interesting to watch from afar. You know, that this idea that the same message discipline that he carried through his campaign has continued in his early days as opposition leader, really focusing on a few things and just repeating them again and again and again. It works in politics. Right, right. I mean, pe- people don't, don't pay much attention to politics. So you've got to say it, say it again and say, then say it for a third time. And, and, and he knows that. I mean, the communication side is something he's particularly strong on. We haven't seen him go off at tangents on some of the issues that he talked about during his his uh, leadership. But obviously, that was aimed at an entirely different audience to the, to the one he's aiming at now, which is the broader general electorate. So it's been a pretty um, disciplined performance, as you say. I think, though, that, uh, you know, the, the, the Liberals are keeping their powder dry on 
what they're going to hit him with when, when we get closer to an election. And, you know, there's plenty of ammunition from cryptocurrencies to the convoy um, that they can they can come up with. He he has left himself open to, to a broad range of attacks, I think. Yeah, the Liberals so far seem to really be intent on just put, laying out their record on sort of support for middle class and so on, and not necessarily repeating or sort of going trading insult for insult. Yeah, I think that that's... <laughs> That won't last. No. If we as soon the closer we get to an election, I mean they are raring to get at Poiliev, and at the moment it's it's not the right time for them. Although you know there have been certain attacks that I think the Liberals have been party to, if not responsible for. And I think you know if you look at the uh, the one we saw recently, where uh, I think it was Global reported on the um, the hashtags. The, the hashtag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're going to see a lot more of that stuff. Sean, you referred to referred to the government's case looking thinner than a hermit's address address book, which is a, a great way of putting it. What have you seen so far that led you to that conclusion? Well, there is a lot of noise going on in Ottawa. There's a lot of fingers being pointed from from various uh, police officials and politicians trying to avoid the blame for what was, you know, a quite a remarkable meltdown in civic authority in a G7 capital. But I think people have got to remember what the inquiry is trying to achieve. And it's basically asking the question, did the government's actions of invoking the Emergencies Act meet the legal and constitutional threshold? And in the Emergencies Act, that threshold is, was there a a threat to um, sovereignty, territorial integrity that could not have been dealt with using existing laws? As we've heard from police officer after police officer from the OPP, which is the Ontario Provincial Police, the Ottawa Police Service, um, and even documents from Brenda Lucky, the commissioner of the RCMP, it's pretty clear that there was a general feeling this was not a threat to national security. Not only that, but there was a sense that by the 14th of February, the Ottawa Police Service had a plan in place which it then enacted four four uh, days later on on October sorry on February eighteenth, and just today Robert Bernay, who was the superintendent responsible for the mission that cleared Central Ottawa, was was being grilled, and he said while these Emergency Act provisions may have been helpful because they helped operational success, they were probably not necessary. I mean, he 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 didn't say that in as many words, but what he did say was. The plan that was being developed was based on existing authorities. He already had 34 tow trucks lined up to pull big rigs off the Parliament Hill. There was a sense that while these powers were not needed, the government's point of view is that, well, this helped galvanise the, the the police services into action, which you know it, it sat there for three weeks doing not a lot. And there may be some sympathy for that in the community, but at the end of the day, it doesn't appear to have been the existential threat to Canada's national security that the government was suggesting at the time. Yeah, the Emergencies Act is not meant to be a cattle prod for your police services, right? And it's not. Uh, right. I mean, yeah. there are a lot of people who seem to be sympathetic to that point of view, mainly people who were in Ottawa at the time and felt that the police were doing nothing. But it's not. It was not meant to be there. It's meant to be the, you know, the the legislation of last resort if something really, really bad happens. Yeah, and and I mean Doug Ford. That's been another big one because <laughs> it's been an interesting one because he was an integral part of all of this for for many weeks. I mean, this happened in his province, both uh, the blockade of the bridge in Windsor as well as what was going on in Ottawa. Those are 
that's his those are that's that's in Ontario and now he's decided he doesn't want to come and come and talk about it uh, did that surprise you yeah it did it did actually I mean you know not only does he not want to come he's taking legal action to ensure he doesn't come and um you know I think all along the testimony we're hearing from for example from Jim Watson the the uh, outgoing mayor of Ottawa was that the the province was not particularly helpful uh, when it came to coordinating police efforts and civilian efforts. The city manager last week was was testifying and was saying that the the uh, solicitor general at the time, Sylvie Jones, um, did not want to get involved. Wanted to leave it to the to the various police services to coordinate it, and they essentially took a step back rather than taking a step forward. You know this. The citizens of Ottawa and, and probably the citizens of Canada were not well served by their uh, by their city politicians, by their city police, by their provincial politicians, by their provincial police, and by arguably by their federal politicians and their federal police. It was a, a complete meltdown in civic authority, as I said earlier. And, and it, um, you know, one of the things of this uh, inquiry is to come up with recommendations so it doesn't happen again. And I think. To do that properly, he needs to hear from Premier Doug Ford. Yeah, instead of spending uh, Ontario taxpayers' money, which was already spent in large sums to break this all up, um, to go back to court to try not to appear, which seems um, yeah. ludicrous, really. John Iveson, as always, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Ben.